Beth, hello. Hello, David. And welcome to Something to Declare. Yes, we're welcome to all of our listeners. We're really pleased to have you with us as we motor through uh, season three. We hope you've been enjoying the episodes so far, hearing from Amanda, Ellen and Chris, and we're grateful to them all for their contributions. But today, Beth, we're going international. Mm-hmm. International week is apparently one of the things we do each time. <laughs> Absolutely right. We've done Austria, we've done the States, and today we're heading over to Estonia. Absolutely. Um, and kind of picking up a little bit about the EBF as we go, mm. um, because of because of who our guest is today. Um, David, David, do you have, um, to kind of sound like a kind of cliche hairdresser, um, do you have any summer <laughs> plans? Like, are you, are you planning on going away anywhere nice? Um, or is there somewhere you'd really like to go to if you could get away? I'm not going away anywhere over the summer holidays, but I was blessed relatively recently to have a week in Mallorca. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was lovely, flying from London South End airport um which was beautiful so there were no delays no issues uh, first time been on a plane for obviously some time and it's wonderful south end because you go in you're on the orange plane at 12 or the green plane at four that's it so <laughs> it's, it's really easy uh, so uh, wonderful experience that was but yeah i have through the ebf actually as well as other things i've had some wonderful opportunities to travel to some great places and um, i love visiting the states i know uh, it's not quite as in vogue as it was um, pre-Trump, perhaps. Um, mm. But I love heading over to the States and I've got friends in Washington, in Seattle and other places, uh, Phoenix as well. So I've been able to go and visit all of them at various points. And I'd love to take one of the big, long Amtrak train journeys across mm. the States. That's something I'd really love to do, but I'm yet to persuade um, anyone significant in my life to do that with me. And I don't fancy doing it on my own because I get quiet morose with that amount of time on my own um and actually i spent a few days in northern ireland about five years ago and i loved it and i'd love to go back and spend more time exploring northern ireland so those are on my list i mean beyond that wiley vessex i mean this is god's own county all the good things happen here and as long as you know you can get an occasional trip across the border into wales all is well i mean i just think that's that's enough but uh, what about you where's top of your bucket list yeah, I was just thinking, I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm not a very big traveller. I'm a real home bird. And um, yeah, I, I feel incredibly boring. I think, you know, travel's never been a huge part of my life, partly because I've always been in ministry and I've had a huge budget. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, there's always been a kind of fairly kind of realistic restriction and um, and now we have small children and I just, <laughs> I have done planes with small children, but I um, I'm not sure I could quite bear it um, at the moment doing kind of long plane journeys with them. But we went to Australia once as our big kind of holiday. Nice. Um, yeah, it was really amazing. Um, uh, we've got f- some family over there, so we went. You know, some we went for a wedding and we saw saw them and stayed with them for bits of time. But we also went and did kind of all the kind of touristy sightseeing bits and it was extraordinary and seeing the coral reef was amazing and that was definitely a bucket list moment which was interesting because I don't think I would have known it was and actually that's what makes me think oh, okay. maybe a bit of traveling is probably a good thing to do because then you discover as you go you don't you so yeah. I don't have a kind of a Pinterest board of places I'd like to visit but I think when you go to places mm. and see something so completely 
you know, other and different and new. It's really yeah. extraordinary. So. I think there's so much in that. And um, through some stuff I did with the EBF, I got to go to some interesting places, part of a program I was on, and I got to visit uh, Lebanon, which I don't think I would have ended up going to otherwise, where the food was amazing, best place in the world for food by a mile. I think, um, I think we might pick up on this particular yeah. idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and wonderful hospitality with a Baptist in, in Beirut. Um, and then the got to go to Armenia and a, a friend of mine on the program was from Armenia. So we, we went a couple of days early from the program because she could show us around and look after us. And we went, we saw some stunning sites, churches that are thousands of years old. And we went across, I think it's the longest cable car in the world out to this sort of monastery in the mountains and absolutely amazing. I'd never have known it existed Mm. As you say, you discover as you go. The Wings of Tartev, I think it was called. Uh, and just a fantastic. Yeah, so I love just going to new places. And um, when I'm on sabbatical next year, I've just got a couple of cities in the UK I've never been to. So I'm going to go spend a couple of days there. Let's have a wander around. Let's find where the good bookshops are. Let's potter. Let's get a sense of the place. Yeah. This helps if they've got a cathedral. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I do love a cathedral. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when uh, Rob and I were long distance for a while and um, we met up um, in, um, I think it was Carlisle of all places, because it was like halfway on the train. <laughs> and um, we ended up like pottering around the cathedral and mm. we decided we'd, just, you know, evening prayer was at five and it was like 10 to five. So we thought we'll just stay quote evening prayer together because that's the sort of losers that we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. What's your date look like? <laughs> <laughs> and and um, what was really funny was, um, yeah, this this lo- lovely, lovely, I don't know what he was, provost or dean or whatever of the cathedral, um, said, um, you know, like, oh, very God, God, politely, we're, we're about to close because we've, we've got prayers now. We're like, we're, not, we're, we're trying to stay <laughs> And it was just this, and he looked so completely taken aback that we were. Um, <laughs> And that was really lovely. And, mm. and so he said prayer. And then he, um, I remember him just like praying. He just, at the end, he just came up to us and just prayed a blessing on us. And it was just oh, really how lovely. lovely. It was just this really lovely gift in what was a, yeah, a nice weekend of desperately needed time together. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. yeah I've not done Carlisle. So it's on the list. I've, I'm making my way around the cathedrals. Um, I'm hoping to tick a few off next year that I haven't done yet. Um, but yeah, not made it as far north as Carlisle. I don't go that far north very often, actually. Yeah, so I need to fix that. Six, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Shubinesh to Carlisle is is one hell of a trip. Yeah, but I'm sure totally worth it for the cathedral. Do you, you know how you have those kind of scratchable maps that you can like yep. scratch off a place that you've been to? I feel like there should be a cathedral's one. You can oh, scratch off nice. the cathedral and they like you have a little gold, you know, a little gold cathedral of the shape of the cathedral in every place. I'm just putting it out there. Cathedral gift shops. If you want to make this, I will buy That's it. Right. Yeah, um, I would buy that. And I'd buy it for everyone I know for Christmas as well. Maybe we could do the same for, you know, Baptist churches in the UK. We could have a scratch yeah. thing. I, I think, you know, um, the comms team are listening uh, let's get that done um and what i think the new directory that everybody wants back what people yeah, instead yeah we did have one during the lockdown so and then we'll get on to our guest i promise and <laughs> we had a, a, a love a good map and uh, we bought one when i was for geography and um, which was the counties of the uk and mm. we scratched off one every day each, me and the, my two children. And it had the county flag and emblem underneath each one. So we were sort of piecing together all the different counties of the UK. And, and we really enjoyed that. And then we got a big world map as well. And we coloured in a country each day. 
and spoke mm. a bit about that country. So, yeah, we love an interactive map, definitely. Oh, I feel you could have had a really good life as a primary school teacher there, David. You didn't want to be in that this, the, on the days when I feel like I want to jack this all in, that is what I'm going to retrain and do. That is my escape plan. It has been for 17 years and it remains my escape plan. My classroom's going to be full of flags and maps and mm. 90s dance music and obviously all the appropriate English and maths. But, you know, we're definitely going to make extra time for geography because yeah. everyone should have to do that. I, I love this idea of an escape plan, though. I, I wonder how many how many ministers quietly have an escape plan. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's good to dream in those moments when you're driving home from something. Yeah. Uh, what could it be instead? Um, but one place I've never been and I would love to go to is Estonia. And our guest today is from Estonia. We are thrilled to have had a chance to chat with Hella Leet, who's the Assistant General Secretary of the European Baptist Federation and known to many of us in the UK. She's been involved in hosting some of the BMS Catalyst live events and she's been doing her role with EBF for, for some time and has got to know a good number of us. And we are grateful to have uh, Hella on the podcast. So let's listen in on our chat with Hella. Just a little warning before we do that to all our listeners. Um, the Essex Estonia Wi-Fi connection was a little bit interesting in a couple of places so bear with us um, I think it's, it's almost all fine but there might be a couple of bits so um, you'll work it out I'm sure and it's totally worth it to listen to Hella um, almost anything's worth it to listen to what Hella has to say so let's listen in now Hello, hello, and welcome to our Something to Declare podcast. It's lovely to have you joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, now, Hella, you are the Assistant General Secretary of the European Baptist Federation, which sounds like a wonderful job title. Um, what does that involve? What does a, a day or a week in the life of the Assistant General Secretary of the EBF look like? Yeah, well, I know it does sound fancy, but actually it's not so fancy at all <laughs> because we, we have a very small team, although it has grown in recent years, but they all part timers uh, really working one or two days a week for the EBF. So we have uh, two full time people working for the EBF, who is the general secretary and then me as the assistant general secretary and also a uh, almost full-time person uh, working with our mission partnership and church planting program, which really means that I have to deal with everything, everything that comes up in the EBF life. And usually when people ask me that, then I say that, well, it starts with finances and it ends with preaching. Everything that fits in between those two categories, which, me, which for me are extremely apart from each other, everything fits between those that's also part of my work and do you get to uh, travel uh, across the ebf region much as part of your work yes i do and that's of course the fun part of the work <laughs> much better than just sitting at the desk and working with the numbers and emails and reports mm. and, and everything else i do but um, it's more related to meetings and and projects we are supporting and uh, sometimes I'm invited to visit the union and to preach or share something about the EBF. But that's more of a, a job for the general secretary, because uh, the general secretary um, has more of a pastoral role 
role also for the EBF and I think my role is more of an um, yeah I would I would say administrative though I don't like it so much because there are also other contents in my job but uh, yeah kind of yeah something like that and when you're your travels across the, the EBF. Is there somewhere where you know, it's announced that this meeting is going to be in Beirut or Dublin or wherever it is it's going to be? It makes you think, oh, yes, I'm, I, I, it's somewhere I always like visiting. Are there are there places? Obviously, you, I'm sure you love all uh, partners equally across the EBF region, but are there some places that you just love visiting? Well, you know, you probably don't know, but you just mentioned my favorite place. Oh, okay. As a first in your sentence, Beirut, Lebanon. I really, this is probably one of my favorite countries, although I do hope that the EBF people don't listen to that podcast because <laughs> I don't know if that would be a very popular statement. But, and if you ask why, then, um, or do you ask why? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's probably because of very good food in the Middle East. Mm, yes. Brilliant yes. food. And also brilliant people. I think these are the two categories. And in recent years, when Lebanon has all these struggles with, uh, with the political situation there and with the explosion in the harbor in 2020 and everything has gone down, it really hurts and it really causes heartbreak for me if I see what's happening in Lebanon. So, yeah. I uh, was obviously part of the, the Transform program with the, with the EBF in, in recent years and got to visit a lot of wonderful places and I enjoyed all the visits very much. But yes, the food in, in Lebanon was something else. <laughs> it was uh, absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I, I won't ask you, you know, uh, what places make your heart sink uh, when they're announced? But uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are no such places um, across the EBF. Yeah, you, you're right. There are no such places, and they are all unique uh, in that sense. So, and and the people actually, our brothers and sisters in all these countries, they are wonderful, and they are wonderful to have relationship with. Mm. Um, so, what are some of the current topics, the big projects that are uh, on your desk what is what are the things that are consuming large amounts of, of time and energy at the moment for you yeah well since uh, 24th of february this year for the next three months there was only one topic on my desk and that's ukraine uh, even now um, that's now four months or nearly five months mm -hmm. already it still takes a large am amount of my my working time and also my free time <laughs> Uh, so, yes, it is Ukraine. But uh, if there was no war, then, of course, there would be other things uh, more uh, um, kind of um, oriented towards all the countries in the EBF. But at the moment, Ukraine is the priority. Mm. Uh, it's been quite moving, I would say, for our church here to, to see through the EBF um, communications that have been coming through, uh, how the the churches in that region have responded. It's been quite spectacular and, and wonderful to see how the EBF family has mobilized to help and support our sisters and brothers in Ukraine. I mean, I guess you must see that on a different level to, to the rest of us and must be very encouraging. It is very encouraging. And, and to be honest, I am still constantly surprised about uh, 
the response, uh, what we all together actually can give to in many places and to many people that before the war in Ukraine, I would not have believed that Baptists can be so united in something. And now it really has happened and I see it every day. And, and that's, I mean, I'm surprised, but at the same time, I'm very thankful people who are supporting financially. I would have never imagined that we are able to raise 3.5 million up to 4 million euros to support all the work done in Ukraine and the neighboring countries. And yeah, constantly mm. amazed. Um, I was privileged to, I think it was Lviv, the council meeting in Lviv, where you had leaders from the Ukrainian Union and the Russian Union sitting and eating together. And obviously this was post Crimea. So there was tension between the nations even before the current uh, conflict um, and I almost remember the first evening meal I think it was and they sat together or something and, and almost the rest of the dining room is having their own meal but also has half an eye on this table and it was it I think it really gave an energy to the whole union it is I think the work of the EBF in knitting things together beyond just even Baptist life was really significant or is really significant yeah, that's that's good to hear. But uh, I think we have to admit that this it's not this relationship is not easy because mm. we are all who we are. I am an Estonian and I'm proud of that. And Ukrainians are Ukrainians and they're proud of that. And so mm. are the Russians. And if the conflict is between two countries, it does affect the relationship on every level. So mm. but uh, but as EBF, I think we um, we are in a good position to to support both uh, our member bodies and and to work together with them and and also to to try to facilitate good relationships uh, in that situation which is not often so easy but uh, yeah yeah so there's there's quite a a diplomatic element to the work that, that you do and because even in some of the countries even within their own country there's more than one union that's part of the EBF I mean we're, we're relatively simple in, in in England and Wales certainly um by virtue of really only having one union uh but in that's not necessarily the case in other countries as well is it and there's other issues and so that I mean how do you manage all of that I mean sort of the politics of it does that ever get frustrating or is it um kind of a little bit interesting I guess it could be both well, I think, um, well, but you do have so many associations, don't you, who are yes. quite independent and they can, you know, have their own uh, work and their own thinking and their own features. So anyway, but yeah, in DBF, we do have 59 member bodies from, uh, from east to west, from south to north, and they are all very different. Mm. And, and the difference is within one union, as you just said, can be also uh, mm. quite big. Um, and there have been splits in the Baptist unions, uh, not too many, but, but still there have been. And, but um, but I, I think EBF doesn't need to take the role in all that, because we have said that we are not the super union who tells everybody what to do or, or sets the parameters for everybody to work according to the same uh, rules or, or anything like that. But, I think we are more of a network and we have said that we do together the things what the individual unions cannot do alone. So 
that's an healthy approach uh, and and that really enables us to keep a good uh, relationship with everybody and of course if there are some uh, conflicts or problems with and uh, they invite the EBF to to facilitate the conflict or be part or help you solve some of the issues then of course we we, we do that but uh, that's not our our main uh, uh, main role in the EBF. We try to encourage the leaders. We try to um, uh, support church planting. We have the like now in Ukraine. We 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 do the aid work together. One of the great uh, um, work is also work with human rights and member bodies, and and that's one of the the areas what we can support our our member bodies in and. Yeah, so we, so in that sense, of course, politics and diplomacy is needed, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you see what I mean. <laughs> I do, I do. Do you, in your time working for the EBF, has it has it changed much? Uh, is it very different? Is the context very different, or is it you know things come and go, but basically the same? What do you what do you make of it? It has changed, and I think if it had not changed, then it, there would be a big problem because I have worked for the EBF for 16 years. And <laughs> if nothing changes in 16 years, then I think the organization should be buried. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but EBF is still very alive, and I think one of the changes uh, what has happened is that it has really become more on a on a. Uh, relationship based rather than a formal gathering of uh, 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 EBF member body leaders. Uh, I remember the, the first council I attended, I was still part of a nomination committee or something volunteering for the EBF in, in some capacity. And I remember it was very formal council meeting with uh, long reports and no discussion at all, for example. During the uh, last years, we have uh, we have developed the EBF much more um, based on relationships, building relationships, and I think we have succeeded in that because the atmosphere of, for example, of our council meetings has changed a lot. Hello, is about to start talking about the increasing involvement and participation of women in the life of the EBF, and particularly in the council meetings. But where the internet was a bit patchy, we lost the very beginning bit, but we didn't want to lose the whole conversation. Just to just let you know that what Hella's referencing here is the involvement and participation of women in the life of the EBF. The EBF, so uh, they participate in the meetings, they are in the executive committee, they uh, chair some of the stuff what the EBF is doing so it's great to have I, I, I don't think it's still in a good balance there is still a long way to go in my opinion not in everybody's opinion and it is still a sensitive topic for some EBF member bodies but I think we have progressed in this and that's re that really makes me glad mm -hmm. absolutely um so, Hella, um, even before you went to work for the, the EBF, um, you've had a long-standing interest in passion for climate justice, environmental justice, green things. Is that right? Am I understanding that right? And you've done some work on that previously. Um, 
does any of that get to filter into your work with the EBF? Obviously, I, I know that there'll be other things that are, are big on the radar, but do you, do you sense we're going in the right direction? Um, I wish I had more time to deal <laughs> with the creation care and climate justice issues. But the role of the Assistant General Secretary really is to, to do mm. everything. But I just, yeah, we'll start our discussion with Hello again. At this point, Hella's just starting to talk about some teaching that she's doing at a seminary with students talking about climate change. There with the students, I do have this uh, as part of my program and we discuss it and we study it and, and we also try to shape our practices according to climate justice principles. But I do hope last one of these. And here Hella is talking about her hope that the individual unions and member bodies of the EBF are going to keep pressing on and getting better and better at caring for the environment. So Hella, one of the things we ask everybody who comes onto our podcast, we have two questions we finish with every time, and I'd like to ask them to you. Um, but uh, you can either take them as being in reference to the EBF rather than the Baptist Union of Great Britain, or if you want to say something to the Baptist Union of Great Britain, we will gladly receive um, anything that you feel you want to say to us. But um, the first of those questions is, if you had one thing to declare to the union, what would it be? What would you want to say to us? Or what would you want to say to the EBF? Take it however you'd like. I think this now comes from my experience with working with the Ukraine issues. Unity is powerful. I think if we stay united, although we have different opinions about this and that, this is all marginal, being united is a great witness to the world. And I think that's what I would want to emphasize, both for the EBF and for the local churches in every country of the EBF, including the UK. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And our second of the final questions is, if you think Baptists have one thing to declare to the world in this moment, what would it be? Again, I have to refer back to my Ukraine uh, uh, experience. And um, it's just wonderful. I, I was able to visit Lviv uh, in April this year. And even in the middle of this tragedy, they declared that Christ is risen. I think that's something what we have to remind ourselves constantly and also say to the world Christ is risen and he's alive Amen to that Hella, thank you so much it's been really good to have you on the podcast today Thank you, it was a good half an hour to spend with you, thank you David So Beth, that was my uh, little chat uh, with Hella. Uh, what are you taking away from that? Mm, um, I think uh, just a really interesting sense of probably how, um, well, I think I, I've become really aware of the work of EBF and really appreciated the work of EBF over um, my time with BU. Um, uh, but I think perhaps how much um, as a larger union, perhaps we don't, associate quite so much with EBF and I do want should we just take a moment to say Baptist Union of Wales we didn't forget David didn't forget you I promise um we want to note that you exist um, um so we're just uh, before people write in 
Baptist Union of Wales definitely exists. And if you didn't know that the Baptist Union of Wales exists, everybody, the Baptist Union of Wales exists in its own right. As its Thank own. you for uh, jumping in front of the train with me there and saying we temporarily <laughs> before then just deciding that you're just <laughs> under the bus. David said, you're right. I, I said about BUGB being for England and Wales, which of course is true. It is true. But I forgot about my good friends in the Baptist but Union of Wales. We must also acknowledge that. Yes, Absolutely indeed. right. And actually, uh, we do have a couple of Scottish churches in BUGB. Just to, that is also true. And it's then very fuzzy around the edges. It is a bit of a fuzzy union, isn't it? But um, but I think perhaps one of the things that is interesting is we do have, uh, in that sense, kind of that yeah, like you were picking up that kind of sense of we're kind of it, it feels a bit more one. Um, uh, and even our, you know, our working relationships with Baptist Union Wales and Baptist Union Scotland are, I think, really impressively strong. Um, so, so actually, then the kind of, um, yeah, the role the EBF has is perhaps a little bit more different for us because we, we, you know, we have, we have, you know, hundreds of churches, um, not five or six. Yeah, absolutely, and we are by far the biggest union i think oh, actually, oh the ukrainian union might be bigger now in terms of numbers i don't know if it is in terms of churches but either way bugb has always been one of the more sizable partners in ebf life uh, usually followed by the german union um and yes compared to some of the other connections unions um groups that are part of it um most of those wouldn't even be as big as a regional association in bugb so it does affect your engagement. So for some of them, the general secretary is, well, they're regional minister almost, it feels like, if you try and read across. In fact, even they're more connected than that. So they have a lot more, um, uh, it's more, it's expressed more often, um, it's more personal, whereas I think a lot of ministers perhaps might not even be aware the EBF exists, never mind um members in our churches I mean, obviously we had alan donaldson at baptist assembly this year and that's a great connection and, and and we've had tony peck with general secretary before that it was obviously a minister in bugb too but but even so it's just that extra level attack detached from day-to-day church life you know like i was talking to a union which will remain nameless who are having some interesting conversations at the moment and they said ah oh, you know we need to get into referee this conversation we need the general secretary of the ebf right? that's their next logical step I don't think we'd take that step. We don't see it in the same way. So we are a net contributor to EBF life in that sense. Um, But I still think it's crucial and important to be there. And we get a lot out of it too. And we learn so much about uh, cross-cultural mission and what it means to be in connection with all these other wonderful sisters and brothers around the Middle East and Central Asia, as well as um, of Europe. I think the vastness of EBF is is so so huge, mm. and I think um, you know just trying to recognise then the diversity of Baptist life in that. Um, yes. So there's all these. So it is a bit different the way we connect with the EBF, um, but the relationships are are really crucial. And I think one of the things that comes out of what Hella does is Hella's been doing the job for quite a long time, relatively long time. And I think that's made a real difference. So a lot of people love and trust and know her and appreciate mm-hmm. her wisdom. And I think that's really helped knit together a lot of things across the EBF. I mean, she's quite frankly wonderful um, as well. And we had Hella come and preach for us must be four or five years ago here in, in Shubury for a Pentecost service. It is one of the best sermons I have ever heard. It was absolutely incredible. 
And Hella would be totally embarrassed by the fact that I've said that out loud, which is partly why she's wonderful. Um, you know, there were just those certain sermons. I've probably got three or four, but I remember them so distinctly. I remember the feeling of the room. I almost remember what socks I was wearing. You just, that moment yeah, yeah. sits with you so clearly. And that was one of those. And so I think all the, the, the people who have been around a long time, they really help. You get that sort of institutional memory as well. And those kind of things become really, really crucial. And I think that's not without its challenge when uh, you are a woman doing the role that Hella's doing. I mean, she's not the general secretary. She's the assistant general secretary. Um, very much not the assistant to the general secretary. Right? Mm. That's very much not her job. Um, but across the EBF region, there's a lot of churches which don't recognize the leadership of women. Certainly wouldn't have women in leadership in their churches. In fact, I don't even know. Wouldn't let her preach, in fact. Well, and yeah, you may have that where in a lot of places, but that's been interesting. So this is not something Hella said to me. This is me positing, I guess. But a number of those unions might have been directly involved with what's going on in Ukraine. And yet Hella's, you know, the run, she's running point on all the stuff in in Ukraine. She's the brains of the operation and doing an amazing job. We might reflect on the EBF's role in that in a moment. Um, And that's made a real difference because you... Yeah, you the impact of seeing somebody gifted and skilled and passionate and doing what they're doing so well does change minds Um, and it's like we here in South Essex have a wonderful history of uh, female regional ministers so we've got the delightful Claire Blatchford at the moment Um, but a a few years ago uh, we had Sheila Martin and a lot of churches or a number of churches weren't sure about women in ministry but Sheila was their regional minister they love Sheila. Sheila was brilliant. Um, they come to know and appreciate her wisdom, her ministry. They could clearly see she was gifted and called. They don't have a problem with women in ministry anymore. You know, there are churches you change when you experience that. And I think Hella, in a very understated way, is changing the EBF for the better just by being there. Um, but it is a thing. I remember there's only been two female presidents ever of the EBF. Um, and one of those was our own Jenny Entrican not long ago. But the one before Jenny was decades before. It's a lady from Sweden whose name I temporarily forget. Um, and there's still no women nominated coming up either. You know, it's, it's a big thing. I think perhaps um, one of the challenges or, or one of the complexities around it as well is that sometimes because these women are in translocal roles, not directly as pastors of a congregation, mm. it allows people to kind of mentally park the issue over there. Because actually yeah. they're not relating to them as their pastor. Um, this person, you know, is not, it, especially when we have theologies of ordination that are much more kind of essentialist in if you are doing the work of pastor in mm. the local setting, then you're, you know, the minister. But if you're kind of out of that in another way, then maybe you're not. Um, I think actually that's a lot, a lot of the time, a little bit easier for churches to cope with. And I think, um, uh, you know, so sometimes I think, you know, perhaps, you know, Lynn, for example, as general secretary here, um, can build um, relationships with churches that would really struggle to have um, called a woman into their pastorate ever. But because she is in a different role, they can then relate to her as general secretary, because actually it's a, a slightly different idea. Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. That's really um, interesting. Yeah. I about that. I think I think it can I think it can be helpful but then what is helpful also within that is then it 
creates the opportunities to have those conversations when people do quietly sidle up and say, I don't normally believe in ministry in women in ministry but I quite like you um yes uh, yes exactly <laughs> this is fascinating thing that, that people do seem to say <laughs> mm, mm. I don't I don't I don't normally but you're different like I don't think there's an, there's an exceptionality here um yeah. other than the, you haven't met it before and so mm. I, I think you're right comes back to that relationship then doesn't it yeah and once people you know trust you enough that they can ask the questions and mm. explore their ideas and you know a challenge I think sometimes for women that then they are the people that then have you know are holding people on a journey of whether or not you know their their kind of their vocation is agreed with in some way but I remember someone I trained with at college saying something not dissimilar when we were leaving in the same year and they were saying that they'll be the first woman ever to be the minister of the church they were going to which is a church with a long history it wasn't a young church but never had a, a female minister and just saying about, or essentially saying to, to me, not just to me, there was a group of us there. If you guys are rubbish and it all goes pear-shaped or something bad happens, they're not going to turn around and say, we had a man once and that went wrong. And so we're not yeah. doing that again. She said, if I get this, if something goes wrong, even if it's nothing to do with me, actually, if this goes really wrong on my watch, mm-hmm. it'll be, we had a woman and look what happened. And yeah. that additional burden is not an insignificant one. And I know they felt it quite acutely, particularly in that first church. They're not there anymore. But um, I think these things make a difference. Mm, yeah, that is, I think, definitely true. I think that's true on um, you know, questions of ethnicity quite often as well. Yes, that, yes. Um, that people feel they kind of rep- have, you know, they somehow have to represent all and do become mm. kind of representative of all Um yeah mm. I um yeah it's, an, it's a interesting one as well I wonder how many women are the first female pastor in a church um because then you are you know potentially on a local level people are encountering this for the very first time um and I wonder how true that is um of many of our ministers because I think I've been the first female minister in every church I've been in um oh, right, okay that's interesting so, yeah. um is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, no, not that I've had an extensive amount of churches, you know, two. Yeah. <laughs> but two is more than none. When, you know, even when I was a pastoral assistant, you know, that was, you know, having a woman near the altar was a huge deal for some people. Right. Uh, okay. Because, you know, I might be menstrually unclean or something. And it's like, honestly, this chat was phenomenal. Um, but good old theology degrees there's no no joy like being able to pick those things apart. no <laughs> <laughs> no indeed um, one thing i think it would be remiss not to just reflect on for a few moments and to acknowledge and to give thanks for really it's just the amazing work that the ebf have done mm. um in drawing people t- together across the region um, but particularly in the countries around ukraine over recent months and how this is i mean the folks who work for EBF have just been totally absorbed and I really hope they're all going to get a very long holiday at some point because this yeah. has been relentless for them. Um, but it has been wonderful in the midst of the rubble and the ruin and the chaos to see Baptist churches across Eastern Europe become places of sanctuary and refuge Such and, and such service and servant-hearted at commitment to their sisters and brothers in Christ. It's just wonderful to see. And I know 
lots of other organizations are doing wonderful things too but i think those relationships across the ebf uh were really instrumental in enabling the, a number of things to happen i think it's one of those moments where both the ground upness of baptist life yes. having a network that can connect people together really well came really came into its own that we weren't waiting for some sort of top-down decision from someone else that this is you know what baptists could do every baptist church locally could discern very quickly how it wanted to open up or what it could mm. do um and there's been some extraordinary stories haven't there of, of kind of yeah. churches that have you know you know churn, turn sanctuary spaces into you know places of you know hospitality and um you know literally bedrooms and mm. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to be able to see that and, to, yeah, the EBF obviously kind of being the glue um, and the links, so many of those conversations. But, yeah, so I think it's, um, I think it's really helpful when we, I, you know, Hella picked up about the language of unity, didn't she, and this kind mm. of, that we can work together in these moments. And I think it puts it into perspective when there is something so huge, how much we have in common, Um I think it can be often tempting to look at what is different about us, whether that's kind of regionalities or whether that's theologies. But I think it was it's a real moment of kind of watching everybody go, you know, you know what we have in common is that, um, you know, the love of Christ and we give this to the world and this is what we need to be about in this moment. Um, yeah. So well done, European Baptist churches. Yeah. Big hat. Yeah. 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 And we do really hope that you get a holiday soon, people, because we know how hard you're working and you're in our prayers. Absolutely right. Uh, so, Beth, let us finish uh, our episode today with our blessing. Should I do the blessing this week? You did the blessing. You did it last week. I'll do it this week. Okay. <laughs> um, so from Kate Bowler's book, Good Enough. Blessed are you who realise that there is simply not enough time, money, resources blessed are you who are tired of pretending that raw effort is the secret to perfection it's not and you know that now blessed are you who need a gentle reminder that even now even today god is here somehow that is good enough well beth bless you and bless everyone who's been listening in and joining us for our episode yeah thank you very much and we'll see you all soon bye